0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, Bethelbible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. In 1 Peter 3, so if you want to get your Bibles out, open up. 1 Peter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. This morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about apologetics. In fact, the word we get for apologetics is going to show up in here when Peter says, defend your faith, give a defense of your faith. That's the word that we get for apologetics. I was thinking about this week, and I, and I, I found an app that kind of reminds me of what us as Christians are called to do. It's a really cool app. It's called Google Translate. I put it on my phone this week. Have you guys ever used this? It's totally free. You can put this on your phone, and then there's hundreds of languages on here. And you can say anything you want to in here, and it'll just translate it to to any one of a hundred languages. So I'm going to try it out. Let's see if this works. I've got English. I'm going to speak English, hopefully. They didn't have redneck as one of the selections. So I selected English. uh, And I'm going to translate this to Chinese. Let's see what this does. Hello. Isn't that cool? When Drew Boring heard that, he said, I didn't know the Chinese had the word hee-haw. Just not that's not hee-haw, that's not what he said. Why do we need translators? Well, by definition, when I need a translator, it's because I want to communicate something, I want to say something, but that other person just naturally doesn't understand it. And that's what we're called to do oftentimes as Christians, isn't it? As Christians, listen, Christ has revealed himself to us. We've seen him. The the Spirit has woken us to him and helped us understand him. And the passage today is going to tell us that has his body. I mean, we got we got to go tell the world about him. But often, y'all, the world doesn't understand our Christian ease, does it? The Bible puts it like this. It says, "We walk in light, but the darkness doesn't understand the light." And so we've got a little bit of a of a dilemma. They don't speak our language, and yet we need to communicate Christ to them and Christ to the world. But by their, by our, our sinful nature, our fallen nature, we, we don't sometimes understand the things of God. But Peter's going to say, hey, there's, there's a translator we can use. We, there's, there's hope. There's a way to do it. There's a way we can point lost people to the fact that Christ is Lord. But you know what, y'all? The truth is, we really try to do this in some really funny ways sometimes, don't we? I mean, can we be honest about ourselves a little bit? We do some really funny things to try to proclaim Christ to the watching world. We'll do things like, you know what? Man, I really, I really want to win this. I really want my neighbors to know about Jesus, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a bumper sticker on my car, okay? I'm going to put something like this. If you're living like there is no God, you better be right, right? And then everyone's going to be driving along. They're going to read that. I'm like, oh, they're going to say, oh, he's, he's right. They're going to honk at me, pull me over and say, tell me more. i got to find out more about Jesus. Well, I don't, you I know, try that, and that doesn't work for a while. So I know, I know what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I just got to find the right T-shirt, and I got to put the right T-shirt on. So I buy, buy myself this T-shirt. Catch up with Jesus. Surely the forces of darkness cannot resist the catch-up pun, right? We're going to start the great catch-up revival of 2016. Here we go, I wear my t-shirt. I wear it everywhere I go. I buy five of them, one for every day and I wear it everywhere, but it doesn't seem to work. The crowds aren't coming to Jesus. So, okay, I think, well... Maybe I'm going to have to actually interact with people a little bit. So I know. I'll start with my neighborhood. I'll invite my neighbor. Let's have like a barbecue or something. I'll invite my neighbors over. Everybody shows up. We're all hanging out. We're having a good time. I throw on some Christian music, you know, something like this. The Amos and twins there. Got the outdoor speakers going. See a group of men in a circle. They're all talking. You know, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to share Jesus with them, you know. They're all drinking beer. I want to be a good witness, though. And so I go over to the kitty cooler. I grab the juice box, pop that bendy straw in, you know. I walk over, and I start chatting, start talking to them, and then I wait for it. I mean, I wait for just the right moment, just the right time when I say, hey, excuse me, would any of you guys like a testament, right? And then, boom, they all repent. We fill up the kitty pool. We baptize the whole neighborhood right there because I shared them a testament, Guys, yeah, that's not how it works, is it? No, no. Look, well, Peter is going to tell us there is something much more powerful we have that proclaims to a watching world that Christ is Lord. You know what? It's not our bumper stickers. It's not our T-shirts. You know what it is? It's our lives. Our lives translate who God is to a watching world. Specifically, Peter's going to give us three things, the way we love, the way we bless, and the way we suffer. The way we love, the way we bless, and the way we suffer. But there's, here's the trick. Here's the trick, guys. There's an app for that. You got to download the app first. If I don't have this Google Translate app, I'm just some dummy talking into my phone. It's not doing anything, right? Peter's going to say, hey, if you have any hope of doing this, there's something you have to download in your heart first. So let's open up the Bible and let's read. Starting in verse 8, it says this, finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, not nor be troubled, but in your hearts, here in verse 15, because verse 15 gives us the app we have to download. It gives us the prerequisite. It tells us what we need to have in our hearts before we can do this, before we can translate to the world. So in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. We're called to honor him as holy. If something is holy, that means it is different. It is set apart. There's nothing else like it. We don't like this word a lot of times, do we? A lot of times we picture holy. We pick we picture stuffy, or people that are holier than thou. That's not what this is talking about. Y'all, Jesus is holy in the sense that he has no competition. There is no one like him. From God's perspective, there's God and everything else. There's the creator and the creation. He has no rival for his goodness, for his holiness, for his power, for his love. He has no rival for anything. He is in complete control. And so the Bible says we are honor him as holy. We give him that rightful place. This word, this phrase, honor is holy, is actually one word, and it shows up in the Lord's prayer. You know where it shows up? Right at the beginning, where it says, Lord, hallowed be your name. It's that word hallowed, We honor as holy. We set it apart because there is nothing like it. It is precious, and it is different. It's interesting, this verse is actually a direct reference to the Old Testament. It is a direct reference, almost a word-for-word quote from Isaiah 8. So back in Isaiah, here's what's happening. The people of Israel are in a panic. They're scared for their lives because there's all these other nations, listen, who are bigger and badder and stronger and meaner, and they're about to come take over, and Israel is scared to death. And so in that time, God says to the people of Israel, he says this, listen, don't call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Oh, fear, dread? That doesn't sound like any fun. What does it mean when he says, let him be your fear? Well, y'all, we often think of fear and dread like, oh, well, you got to be just running around in a panic. No, no, it's this sense of awe, fear, respect. It entails that same feeling you get the first time you ever see the Grand Canyon. When you lay your eyes on something that you just can't even comprehend because it is so amazing. and also entails this healthy sense of fear and respect you get for your parents when you know you've done something wrong, right? Daddy comes home and you're guilty. You know you did it wrong. You know there's punishment coming. Here's how this works, y'all. We worship and hope in and honor the same person that we ultimately fear because that is who is in control. That is who is actually God. And so Peter says this is something you have to do. You have to make a determine in your own heart. You have to determine in your heart who really has the power to bless and curse, who reigns, who is in control. And so in our hearts, every one of us as Christians has to proclaim for ourselves, it's true, Christ is Lord. And we reserve him that spot in our hearts, and no one else gets that spot. Listen, Christians, when financial hard times come, when when your marriage is struggling, when your child walks away from the Lord, when someone at work is out to get you, when you are full of shame and can't forgive yourself, you tell yourself, my God reigns. In your heart, you determine that Jesus has washed you in his blood, and you are his child, and you take refuge in him. Say, there is no other God. My hope is in him. Christ is Lord. God is honored when we do that. God is honored when his people hallow his name and say, it is true, Christ is Lord. When they believe what Romans 8 says, remember what Romans 8 says, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one, because Christ is Lord. He has no competition. Nothing can separate us from from the love of Christ. Why? Because Christ is Lord and there is no other. And Peter, I love his description here. He says, it so says we have this hope in us, and so anytime, anytime, day or night, 24-7, anytime someone come and, comes and asks, hey, why are you so hopeful? Why do you have this hope? I mean, it just bubbles up. It's right there. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. That is always and at all times the source of our hope. And this concept of it, it being in your heart, y'all, you know, sometimes we misunderstand. We only get partial meaning of what it means to do this in your heart. In biblical language, they understand the heart as the source of your true character. So, it, it starts on the inside, but it doesn't stay there. It manifests itself as character. It comes out. Think of it like roots. When your roots are deep and strong, the roots of a tree are deep and strong, then that necessarily means something's going to spring out above the ground, and it's going to be a healthy and strong tree, right? You wouldn't see a little sapling like the little Charlie Brown Christmas tree and say, yeah, I know that thing looks weak, but man, it's got strong roots, no, 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 that's not how it works. If the, if the roots are strong, then the thing that pops up out of the ground is strong. And Peter's saying here, hey, if your heart, in your heart, you set apart Christ as Lord, this is not just a private matter. It's not just an internal matter. That's where it starts. But then, man, things will spring up out of the surface. Your hope will spring up out of the surface. That's what he's saying. So Peter tells us, Look, there's, he goes on to tell us there's something that betrays our roots, something that tells us if we have weak roots. And y'all, I got to absolutely tell you, I agree with Peter here. There is another app that many of us of Christians have been downloading in our heart lately, and it's the app of fear. He says this, look in verse 14. Verse 14 says this, "...have no fear of them, nor be troubled." This word troubled, it means shaken up, stirred up, in turmoil. It's this picture of emotional turmoil, so picture like a sea in the middle of a hurricane with just huge swells and white caps and and just chaos. Peter says that our hearts should not be in chaos like that. We should not be in turmoil like that. And yet, I got to be honest, I think fear is exactly what describes most Christians in our culture today. Our culture is changing. Something has happened to many of us as Christians as it does. You know, I, I grew up in a following Christ. I I was saved at a young age, and that world that I grew up in is quickly going away. And as it changes, many of our illusions are being shattered, aren't they? Most of us grew up in a world where our faith was easily compatible with our culture. And so for me, the thought of ever having to choose between obeying my government and obeying God seemed ridiculous. It seemed like that would never happen. That was never even a thought I had to consider growing up. You know, the, the thought that the world around me would find my beliefs offensive, stupid, outdated? I never, I never lived in that. For most of us, our lives, for most of our lives, we've never had to separate our citizenship, our political party, or our social standing from our faith. We could have our cake and eat it too, as it were. And that is changing today. And I think as Christians, we feel the world shifting beneath us. What do we do? What do we do as Christians when the Supreme Court makes homosexual marriage the law of the land? And then when our culture views our disagreement as intolerant and hate speech? Or when a group of ISIS gunmen can walk into a theater in Paris and shoot the place up? Or when Syrian refugees flee war from their homes and want to come into our country? Or when we find ourselves in the midst of an election that feels like a race to the bottom? What do we do do we respond in hope or do we respond in fear well I'd like to present as exhibit a go on Facebook you guys are on there you here you tell me most Christians are we responding with hope or with fear it's all fear everywhere you go ISIS ISIS is coming Democrats Republicans the Starbucks cup did you see the Starbucks cup there's a war at Christmas Ah! Fear! Fear! Whoa! That's, that's how it is everywhere you go. You know, we live in a culture that loves to stir this up in us. Loves it. It is common knowledge in our culture, whether you want to sell a news magazine, a TV show, or a candidate, all you got to do is play on people's fears and play on their angers. And guess what? You'll sell more, your ratings will go up, and you'll get votes. And we love to complain about it, don't we? Man, we love to gripe and complain about how negative everything is in these elections. But listen, you know why they do it? Because it works. They do it because it works and because it gets votes. And so our problem is not with our political candidates. Our problem is with our own hearts. That's where our problem is. Listen, here's what happens. Our fear translates to the world that our faith might just not be true. Says, hey, maybe it's a lie. Maybe we don't have hope. Maybe Christ is not Lord. Maybe these earthly leaders are in control and God is not in control. Our anger shows that we are more concerned with this world than we are looking forward to a city not built with hands. Christians, if you, if you put your hope in the fact that Jesus is Lord, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Listen, you know what the Bible says we do? You know what the Bible says we do when the rest of the world is in distress and everyone around us faints, literally faints from fear when all the nations rise up against nation and the world ranges? You know what the Bible says we do? It says, lift up your eyes, your redemption is at hand. That is a good thing. This is how we rejoice. testimony of Scripture is that One day, all the kingdoms of this earth, that means my little private kingdom that I built for myself, your little private kingdom, the United States of America, Russia, you name it, all the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. this This is what history is. All of history is God working towards that moment, and he is in complete control of it. Psalm 2 says this, Psalm 2 says, the nations rage and the people plot in vain. And you know what? While they do that, you know what God does? Go read Psalm 2. He says he laughs. He just chuckles, like, huh, that's cute. Look at, look at him try. You've seen the Wizard of Oz, right? There's a guy, a big guy behind the curtain. Whoa, be afraid, whoa. And you peel back the curtain, and it's just some like weird old man who's harmless. Bible says, even the devil himself will come to nothing. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, he will destroy Satan, listen, with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. This is no Ollie versus Frazier heavyweight bite to the end. No. His presence, the brightness of his coming will cause all the evil to pass away. Now, You may notice glaringly absent from the Bible's promises are your standard of living, your comfort, your reputation. The fact that your country will remain the most powerful and most influential and wealthiest. And you know, the Bible doesn't declare that God has a favorite ethnicity or language either. The Bible says that Jesus is working to bring about his kingdom where there is no Jew, there is no Greek. And the re- I'm convinced the reason many of us are so afraid because, is because we have put our hope in those things. Listen, I, I want to tell you, if in your hearts you have set aside your citizenship or a political party or your own comfort or your own ability as Lord, you should be afraid. I don't know what to tell you. You should be afraid. All of those things are going to pass away. Listen to what Habakkuk 2.14 says says one day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think of all the waters covering this earth. And that is how the glory of the Lord will fill this earth one day. That's what he's working for. The revelation says there's going to come a day when a holy city is going to descend from heaven and God's dwelling place will then be with man. And listen what he's going to do. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, and all the formal things, former things will have passed away. Christian, this is your hope. This is your hope. It's not in the earthly king, but in the king of kings. Not in the earthly kingdom, but in the eternal kingdom. This is the app you've got to download in your hearts, men and women. In your hearts, you have set aside Christ as Lord, and there is no other. Peter says, once we, once we do this, he says, three things are going to translate that to the world. Our love, our blessing, and our suffering. So let's go back. Let's go back. Now that we're armed with this, now that we know to set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts, let's go back to verse 8 and read. Finally, all of you, all of you. In the previous section, he was talking about specific relationships. So uh, a slave to the master, a husband to wife, now he says, look, this is how all of us behave in all of our one another's, okay? Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He describes five virtues that characterize how we treat one another. This first one, unity of mind. This is harmony, the the way a chorus or a band has harmony. This doesn't mean we all play the same note. It doesn't mean we all think the same, look the same, act the same. Think of like a football team. There's 11 guys on the field. Each one has a different responsibility, a different position, but they are all unified under a single team, a single goal, a single coach. And that's what we're to be, as the body of Christ. Unity of mind. He says next, sympathy, sympathetic. This is where we feel as each other feels. This is our emotional presence with one another. You know, someone can be physically present with you, but not emotionally present. This is our emotional presence. This is what the Bible says. We weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Our brotherly love. This is the family type of love. We are family. Wait, we are all in the circle of trust with each other, okay? And you think of your family relationships, those healthy family relationships. Right? You may fight. You may there may be times where God sends one to one end of the world, another to the other end of the world, and yet you remain. It has a sense of steadiness and consistency and unbrokenness. We have brotherly love for one another. Next, it says a tender heart. Now, y'all, that is a much nicer-sounding translation than the original language. The original language says we all have good bowels. Good bowels. All right. Well, this is not a comment on your regularity, okay? Back then, they understood the bowels is the source of your emotions. So, we still kind of say this when you say, man, I felt it in my gut. Hey, we are, he's saying we are, we are kind, we have kind-heartedness, we are tender way down in our gut. And so, it's kind of this opposite of hypocrisy where we act nice, we act tender, no, 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 deep down, we have tenderness and kindness for one another. How many of you know the Bible says God's kindness brings us to repentance, right? We model that by our, our tenderness to one another. Finally, he says a humble mind. This is a humility of spirit. We are authentically lowly. It's the opposite of pride. So we're not arrogant. We're not proud. We're not independent. We're not self-sufficient. We are constantly aware of our own dependence on him. So we are lowly and we are humble. Now, notice why you need an app for that. I don't know about you, but right here, God is asking me be, to be a lot of things that I'm not. I read that, and I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm not those things. You can ask me all you want to, but I'm kind of a selfish guy sometimes. I'm kind of a hypocrite sometimes. I'm kind of proud sometimes. But well, Christ has to be Lord in our hearts so he can work in us and change our hearts. And so we, we see how this works. The Bible tells us how this works. In fact, back in John 13, Jesus gave the world a test a test that they can use. He said, here's how everyone's going to know whether or not you're my disciples or not. I'm going to give you a test. And it's this, by how they love, listen, not God, but how they love who? One another. He said, that's how the world's going to know you're, you're my disciples. And So this is how this works. This is how we translate the love of God to the world around us, by how we love one another shows them the love of the Father. And that's how this works. So we translate Christ by how we love, second, by how we bless. Verse 9 through 12, let's read. It says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, so that you may obtain a blessing. So notice, we don't act in kind, right? If you're a Christian, you are not made of rubber. And what they say does not bounce off of me right back on you. We don't respond in kind, right? We got to to graduate from the playground eventually. And so we may receive evil. We may say receive reviling, but we bless. If you are a Christian, God has given you a calling. He has given you a job, and that is to bless. Why? Because you've been blessed, and you're not responding to that person. You're responding to the Lord. Verse 10 says, We do this with our speech. Verse 11 says, we do this with our actions. And so there's no hypocrisy here. Both our speech and our actions bless. Verse 11 says, we seek peace and pursue it. Let me ask you this morning, do you pursue peace? I mean, do you chase after it, even when it is hard, even when it is elusive, even when it seems to be outrunning you? Do you pursue peace? You know, many of us don't. Y'all, Christians have a terrible reputation for being jerks, don't we? Some more than others, maybe. We're notorious for wagging our finger at people, being the, the morality police, getting angry, being self righteous. And listen, here's what, here's what Peter's saying here. Peter is saying if you have a hard time getting along with people, even secular people, that's a you problem. They're in darkness. And you're not responding to them. You are responding to your Father. There's an old saying. It goes like this. Hey, if you wake up and in the morning you you run into a jerk, you just ran into one jerk that day. In the afternoon you run into another jerk, maybe you ran into two jerks that day. If all day you're surrounded by jerks, guess what? You're the jerk. That's how this works. So we respond with blessing. Verse 15 and 16 say, when people ask us about our faith, we respond with two things. What? Gentleness and respect. This gentleness word is the complete opposite of the turmoil that was used to describe fear. And so instead of a sea being tossed about by a hurricane, picture a completely calm ocean. Deep, calm, and strong. That is our gentleness. And with respect. And this word respect is almost always used to describe our attitude towards God. It has to do with that word fear, this awe and this respect. And almost every time it's in the Bible, it's us respecting God. And yet, Peter here takes this word and uses it for how we respond to people, lost people, sinful people, people who may be reviling us. Why? Well, because we're in the translating business, aren't we? So God is saying that if you respect Christ as Lord, the way you translate that is your respect for other people. That's how we respond. So we proclaim Christ as Lord by how we love, by how we bless, and finally, here's the fun one, by how we suffer, by how we suffer. He says this in verse 13 through 17. He he says, listen, you will suffer. You will suffer, and not just for doing all the bad things that you should suffer for. You will suffer for doing good. Jesus said this in John 16. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. But don't we expect something different? I mean, don't we usually expect that, that suffering necessarily is punishment? Don't you even kind of walk around thinking, okay, if I'm doing right, if I'm doing good and what I need to be doing, I shouldn't suffer? And if I'm doing good and I encounter suffering, I get pretty angry about it, don't I? And so I, we stand up for our rights. We, we fight for what's right. And if that doesn't work, we lash out at God. God, you're not holding up your end of the deal. I followed the rules. I was doing what I was supposed to do, and I'm not getting good things for it. You owe me good things when I do good. Y'all, that's not the testimony of Scripture. The Bible is clear that we live in a world full of sin, and darkness hates the light, and so you will suffer. What do we do as Christians when we get called intolerant and angry for a traditional view of marriage? When your boss asks you to do something immoral, and you say no, and then you get passed up for the promotion. When you refuse to follow your friends into into sin, and so you get made fun of, or then you find yourself lonely and alone. What do we do? We do our best to follow God, but our our marriage still struggles, and possibly it even falls apart when people that I disagree with get elected into office. Do we go reeling because it's so unfair? Do we take to Facebook and justify ourselves and build a following? You know what we do? We suffer. We suffer. And y'all, I got to be honest. I don't know how we ever got the expectation that it would be any other way. In this world, you will have trouble and you will suffer. But here's what's happening when you do: when you suffer for what is good and what is right. Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Which kingdom? The eternal kingdom that He is bringing. When we suffer, We translate to a watching world Jesus, though he was completely innocent, suffered for their good. That Jesus, though he was God and sinless, suffered innocently for our sin. We can translate that for a watching world by our suffering. I want to show you, just in closing, the most powerful example of this I've seen in a long time. Last year... The group ISIS posted a video that spread across the world. I think you've got an image there on your screen. And you can read the title there, A Message in Blood to the People of the Cross. In this video, ISIS marched 21 Egyptian Christians to the banks of the Mediterranean where they murdered them. They martyred them. These men were Coptic Christians. The Coptic Christians have been in Egypt as long as the New Testament church has been around. And for that entire time, they have been a minority, and most of that time they have faced persecution. This was not the first time they had faced martyrdom, and I promise you it will not be the last. You know what? There's a specific reason ISIS called them the people of the cross. They're mocking them. See, All of these Coptic Christians, they know, they all know from birth they will suffer for their faith. And so you know what they do? You know what all of them do? Knowing they will suffer, every single one of them gets a tattoo of a cross on their arm. They tattoo it on their arm. So when that moment of suffering comes, they know it will, they cannot deny that Christ is Lord. They refuse themselves the ability to deny it. This video is spread around the world, it's shocked many people, everyone in the world saw it. And then two days afterwards, the family of one of these martyrs was interviewed on national television with the whole nation watching. And this was a big deal. The whole nation was reeling and everyone was listening to how these people would respond. I want to share with you some of their words. One of the uncles got on. They were, they were doing this over the phone. One of the uncles got on. And the interview asked him, What his response was to all of this, and and listen to his words. This is the quote he said, We thank Christ so much, for they are absent from the body and present with Christ. Then one of the brothers got on, and the brother said this, Since the Roman era, Christians have been martyred and have learned to handle everything that comes our way. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. This man lost his brother two days before this. And then in this unbelievable moment, this brother, right after he says this, he hands his phone to his mother. And the interviewer asked, if you came across the ISIS man who did this to your son, what would you do? This mother, who had just watched her son be martyred in front of the whole world, this mother who was elderly, who was dirt poor, who was uneducated, with profound gentleness said this that I would invite him into my home and I would pray for God to open his eyes because he is the reason my son has entered the kingdom of heaven. And she went on to say she would tell him about Jesus. Do they sound afraid? Do they sound angry? This woman in this moment declared with deafening clarity, Christ is Lord and all of my hope is in him. Christians, by our love, by our blessing, and by our suffering, we translate for the watching world, that Christ is Lord. Let us pray. Father, you have been so good to us. While we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love by dying for us. Yet we so often turn to idols. We're often more concerned with our own comfort than your glory. We're more concerned with our own desires than your will. Lord, when these idols get shaken, we get afraid. I know I do. When the future seems uncertain, we look to ourselves and others and in this temporary world more than our eternal home. Lord, would you work in us? Would you make us a people of deep faith? Would you transform our hearts so that each and every one of us has determined in our hearts, Christ is Lord, and we place all of our hope in that truth? Would you free us of all the competing idols and the competing gods that compete for our hearts? and Make us into a people that even if the earth gives way, even if the mountains fall into the sea, yet we hope in you. Or make us a people who pray like John, Lord, come quickly. Make us into a people who proclaim with our lives that Christ is Lord. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.